Hi, you are listening to the Conflict and Development in Africa podcast. This podcast is for policymakers, governments, researchers, students, businesses, and anyone that is interested in conflict and development issues in Africa. On this podcast, we hear from experts from across Africa and the world. Your host, Dr. Michael Wangpa, will ask the questions you would want answers to. Michael Wangpa has an extensive experience spanning over a decade studying, researching, writing and consulting on conflict and development issues in Africa. Welcome to another episode of the Conflict and Development in um, Africa podcast. Uh, today, uh, we have um, two special guests that will be joining us um, to speak on uh, the armed banditry uh, challenges or issues in northwestern Nigeria. Today, I'm joined uh, by Yusuf Anka. Uh, Yusuf is an investigative journalist and the joint winner of the Large uh, Atlas 2023 Global Shining Light Award. Uh, he was recognized for his brilliant work on the BBC commissioned uh, documentary, The Bandit Wallers of Zamfara. And our second guest is also an investigative journalist, uh, Idris Mohammed, and also a peace and security expert with the United States Institute of um, Peace uh, based in, in Northern uh, Africa, not in Nigeria. Um, um, Idris and um, Yusuf, uh, I'm very pleased to have both of you on board. And you guys have done uh, an amazing job, and you've done, you know, you've had an impressive record so far. And I look forward to to our conversation this evening. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mike, for having us in this program. Great. Uh, so let me start. Let me start. I'll ask um, uh, a general question, and then uh, maybe Yusuf will go first, and uh, you know Idris can go uh, next. Uh, the first question will be: ca Can you help make sense of, you know, the so what is popularly called uh, bandits in in northwestern Africa? You know, there's a whole lot of um, uh, confusion. For instance, there's a confusion between, is that the same thing as the farmer farmer header conflict? Is this uh, uh is this a, is this the same thing as Boko Haram? Everything is just conflated. So can you help make sense of, you know, is there a distinction between the unbanded in Northwestern Nigeria? Thank you very much, Michael. Uh, just to make a quick correction, uh, I am no longer, I used to be an investigative journalist. I am no longer uh, a journalist, at least for the past uh, seven months. I work more around uh, uh, humanitarian activities in northern part of Nigeria. Thank you very much. Um, on the question of whether the conflict still remain the harder farmer conflict or it has transformed into uh, a new a new name mm -hmm. i would say that uh, first indeed this conflict started as a farmer and harder conflict between uh, majorly the hausa uh, community settlers and farmers and the Fulani pastoralists who were moving from the up north and to the southern part of the country at the end of the rainy season and the beginning of the dry season in the northern to the southern part of the country. For proliferation of arms and uh, increasing grievances within the communities have uh, assisted the escalation of this violence. And uh, today it is difficult to draw the line between uh, 
genuine grievances, uh, farmer and herder conflict and the terrorism that is taking place, acts of terrorism that are taking place in the northwestern part of Nigeria. So for me, uh, the element of conflict that has existed and birthed this uh, large-scale atrocities still remain uh, an issue that needs to be looked uh, critically and resolved, particularly uh, insisting on the justice system between the farmers and the herders, but it is really uh, increasingly difficult to create a line between uh, genuine grievances, farmer and herder conflict, and what is now taking place in the north. It will be difficult to call the cri this, cri this crisis a name, because uh, when you looked at the large-scale activities that are happening, the people that are fallen victims of this uh, violence have in no way connection to this uh, uh, because if a farmer is having a crisis or conflict with the, the herder, it has nothing to do with the school children. It has nothing to do with the traveler. It has nothing to do with the tomato seller who is trying to access Katsina from Zamfara or who is trying to travel between Gusau and Zaria who have been abducted on daily basis and need to pay ransom or even school children. So it is really difficult to still call this a farmer and herder conflict, but this does not also deny the fact that every element of the the conflict still remains uh, very existent and very important to be resolved. Hmm. Very different. Um, Idris, do you have anything to add to that? Do you have a different perspective, or do you agree with um Yusuf's um opinion? Oh, okay. So, so thank thank you very much. I think Yusuf has. Um, began with a very background, um, looking at the historical antecedent. I think the only thing I can add is the misconception regarding Tibandu tree because so many people uh, misunderstood the conflict, um, even though some some of the misleading um, information regarding that as a result of you know the general you know knowledge that some people looking at did not belong to a particular ethnic group or something. So one of the, uh, I think, misleading facts is some, they look at it like um, it, an issue of um, full-blown terrorism, like Boko Haram, I mean, ideologically motivated conflict, um, which is not, this is economic, you know, motivated conflict. That is one. Um, the other one is issue of ethnic identity-based conflict. So there are some people are looking at it as houses by society especially in communities where they are also they are flooding like Katsinans and Farasokoto, um, uh, Kepi, while some other places are looking at it as um, religious motivated, like I mentioned, um, like what is currently happening in Plateau State, in Nasarao State, and some part of the um, North Central States. Um, people don't, So I think there are like seven different conflicts and they are all related with banditry, but they have different dimensions and um, the motivations are different. For example, when you talk take banditry in the in in the more affected places like Zampara, Kasena, Sokoto, is different from um, the kind of criminal activities that are going on in Plateau, Nasarawa. Um, uh, Niger State, which has an element of Boko Haram, um, same Kaduna, which colorated with issue of religious anger, um, also Nasara, which has ethnic, you know, orientation, same as Benue, also, which also um, identity attached to the conflict. So I think these are the only thing I can add from what you so mentioned. Okay. Okay, brilliant. It it seems it does seem it's a very complex uh conflict situation that um uh takes on uh from what we've seen it it takes on elements of uh some legitimate uh drivers and then th th there is there are also elements of criminality that has crept into it. Uh, but the 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 bandits themselves. In terms of that, looking at that group as an organization, I remember it was in 2014, the Global Terrorism Index had them as uh, the fifth uh, 
uh, I think Boko Haram was the second, uh, you know, most terrorist groups in 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 the world. They 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 were the fifth. They came to the. But are they are they a unit? Is is Ambatri? Is he is he an organization? Is he an organized uh, like Boko Haram? Can we? Is that how you classify them, uh, Yusuf? I think in terms of the organization, uh, it's two things here. Uh, in terms of organization, these uh, groups are less organized than uh, ideological groups, either Ansaru, Iswap, or Boko Haram. They are less organized, uh, less structured, and less hierarchical in the sense that uh, in most cases you find that a group of 200 members is being led by just one single uh, commander, and from A to Z of the commands come from this very uh, single commander. And uh, it still does not mean that uh, this commander has the monopoly and the control over the activities of all the, over all the members of the group, which is usually the case for uh, ideological groups, mostly in the Northeast. But also in contrast, when you look at the, in terms of uh, scale of activities and the scale of violence, it seems that uh, uh, the so-called bandits have inflicted more pain, uh, especially in the last uh, five years than, than any other actor of violence in, in, in Nigeria. So I think in terms of organization, I would say they are not very organized, but in terms of uh, impact and uh, the humanitarian situation, this conflict is creating, it is more difficult than even uh, some of the organized or structured organizations. Hmm. Amazing. Um, Idris, I know, I know in the past with your, with your work, um, uh, you, you've, you've, I, I think in the past you, you've had to um, engage with, uh, maybe in terms of like looking at a way forward with, with some of these, um, groups yeah but how, how does that look like how does it what's the implication of the structure what implication does it have for engaging with these groups who are we engaging if it's that loose who do we engage with how, do, how does engagement look like so so um thank you very much for asking me this question i think you some already laid the background of their structure you know these are the people that are fragmented you know and highly de decentralized not like Boko Haram or Ansaru. Um, they, they are in groups and even some of the groups are against each other because, you know, it is fighting over economic resources. Um, you, can you can find it, one group kidnap maybe someone, then the other group will come and take that particular person by force. Or one group engage in cattle rustling, the other will come and uh, take it by force. So this is to show you that they are highly disorganized, not like Boko Haram or Ansaru. So I think this become a serious, you know, challenge. Um, I think when the Nigerian governors in the Northwest trying to engage them in amnesty, you know, and peace talk, um, you can remember, I, I think I wrote an article regarding that, um, how Kazana state government engaged them in a peace talk. They had an agreement after a few days, now they broke the promise and continue attacking the locals. So what they normally do is they can agree with the government of Zampara State not to attack anybody. Then they can run, they can easily move to Kasana and attack civilians in Kasana, or they can easily move from Kasana to Kaduna and attack. So, you know, so they can agree in one particular community that they are not going to attack or make any assaults because the government engaged them, they had an agreement, maybe financial promise or any other thing that would make them that we drop our weapons here and we are no longer attacking anybody. But in the other community, in other states, they are doing the same thing, nothing has changed, or even doing worse than what they have been doing in the other state. So that is why, you know, curtailing banditry become very, very difficult because government failed to, you know, dig deep and understand the root cause and understand even the structure as well as the organization, you know, of this group. Even government will take time to understand the structure as well as the organization of this group. I think they can able to reach some certain milestone in addressing the conflict. But the current situation, uh, I don't think they are doing 
you know, they are even getting closer to, you know, addressing the conflict. Yeah, very, very interesting points you made there. In my, in my own research on Boko Haram, I think during President um, Jonathan's um, administration, there was this uh, also government failure to try and understand uh, Boko Haram. And then they, they, you know, and that kind of affected uh, the initial uh, response to it. But uh, speaking of of that government failure to 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 understand uh, this this conflict, do, do you think that is um is that from lack of capacity, Yusuf? Do you think there's uh because again we've also seen some other controversial uh we've seen like people like Sheikh Gumi who have met who have inter interviewed in 2014 or 13. Uh, they've engaged with this banditry in terms of like uh, maybe, you know, giving some sum of uh, uh, ransom payment or, or engaging with them. But how do you see all of this? Government, there's no one uniform government approach to it. So what? Do, how do you see all of the approaches so far from like Shegumi's, you know, maybe solo engagement with these groups and some people that see it as, you know, endorsing or empowering or emboldening this group or other groups? How do you see it? Well, for me, I think that uh, some of the solutions are quite uh, coming quite uh, late. If you look at this crisis, uh, it's a crisis that started almost 12 years ago. And... Uh, when you look at the accounts, I think there are still certain reports on BBC Hausa and uh, Voice of America that you can listen to. If you look at the scale in which the conflict started, uh, all these things we've been talking about now, the Katsina state government, the Zamfara state government in the past trying to negotiate with the armed groups were initiatives that could have worked at the early stage of the crisis when they had very... Uh, they were very clear about their grievances at the beginning. They had uh, smaller groups and then uh, there was a bit of more control and monopoly of the activities that were going on in the parts of Kaduna, Zamfara and Katsina. But unfortunately, there was a uh, mismanagement, I would say, of the crisis and uh, in the way the Nigerian government managed the crisis and then it uh, escalated. The communities also contributed to this escalation, the actors and everyone. There was no, there was, there was basically no effort to uh, try and understand at least uh, the grievances behind this crisis and to resolve them at the beginning of the crisis until when it became very, very difficult and people were already emotionally invested in the crisis. Imagine at a point when the, Emirates and Zamfara are saying that in Zamfara alone, 3,000, 30,000 armed uh, bandits exist. It's almost the same case for Katsina, almost the same case for Sokoto. Uh, atrocities have been committed even out of the initial communities where these uh, uh, challenges started. It is now difficult to convince communities that uh, these people have grievances that needs to be uh, resolved or needs to, uh, that needs to be listened to. But all and all, when you look at the crisis, it is not a crisis that came out of a blue. Uh, when you travel through these communities, you see that uh, these grievances are existing. Uh, cattle routes have been taken away. Uh, climate change is very active in the region. Uh, poverty, porous borders, and all illiteracy, lack of uh, uh, government presence in areas is, 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 is very apparent. These are things that must be resolved for the northern Nigeria to be able to close its two eyes and then sleep. Otherwise, but how are we going to do it is a problem that needs uh, a very serious uh, engagement. I think it is very, very obvious and very clear that uh, the crisis needs more than arms and more than the, the, the guns and because of these uh, grievances. But how do these grievances get resolved when the actors are already deeply invested in the act of violence is what uh, I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. I, do, I do agree with you with that. Uh, like most of the studies, even when we look at groups such as Boko Haram that have you know, committed grievous acts in the last uh, 14, coming to 20 years, 
you still see if you if you go down to the root causes that there, there are uh valid uh you know grievances that these groups always uh we, we always um, uh, manipulate or, or maneuver but i want to go back to the characteristics of of these groups in my own research, you know, when we were talking about, when we're looking about the character of this group, there's been this stereotyping of the Fulani. See, it's an Amfulani's group, or Fulani this. But, but also, it's common that it's not just the Fulani that are involved in this, in this, um, in this issue. Idris, do, do, what, what can you say to that? Do you have other ethnicities that are involved in this group? And how, what is the scale of you know, other non Fulanis that are involved in this in this um, unbanditry issue. Okay, so you know, you know, this is issue of organized crime, and you know, people are hiding under the umbrella of flight, committing different sort of crimes. For example, if you look at the recent, you know, um, kidnapping issue in Abuja, you know, the police made some arrest, and if you look at some mm -hmm. of the, um, um, I mean, the perpetrators arrested by police, they are not Fulanis. So even in some communities in the southwest, in the southeast, in the south-south, and even in the northwest, there are some people that are attacking, doing arm robbery in the south, all in the name of, uh, of banditry, because they know, you know, whenever you kidnap somebody and demand particular amount of money, the first thing that will come to the mind of the people is flying that um, attack. But to be honest with you, um, flying are not the only one involved in this crime, um, but the number of other tribes in Bob, they are insignificant compared with the number of, you know, I mean, the the the, the Fulani um, militia group that really involved in this um, organized crime. Um, if you look at even the current crisis in just, there are different narratives. Some will tell you that Fulani, some will tell you other tribes that come and attack us. The same thing with Benue. Benue is one of um, I think the state in the North Central that also has a very complex dynamics of conflict. You know, um, even before you know the the the, the well-known pronounced banditry in Nigeria. You know, there are a lot of ethnic clashing in in in, in, in Benue State, and the same thing. This clashing are still happening, but because of stigmatization, you know, stereotypes, you know. People will quickly assume that Fulani attack us, Fulani this and that. Yes, because of stereotypes, you know, and the number of, you know, reported cases in the Northwest. So this gives, you know, a silly excuse and avenue for so many criminal groups, you know, to hide under this umbrella and commit different sort of crimes because they know Nigerian government or security agencies or even the, 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 the popular school quickly assume it is Fulani militia group that attack us. So it is true, but the number of other tribes are very insignificant. Significant. Let, let, me, let me follow up on that, Idris. Uh, you mentioned before, uh, and also Yusuf said, uh, this bandit treating is like maybe started in the last 12 years. Or you mentioned uh, Plato, and you mentioned that the, 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 his dimension, his manifestation in places like Plato or it has to do more with them. Um, so in Benin, more complexity. But you mentioned something like criminality in, in Joss. And in place, we've had longer years of, you know, all of this dynamics. So how do you, how do you, can you, can you expatiate on that, on the distinction between how it manifests in the, in central regions from the Northwest? So, you know, over, over three decades, over three decades, there is existing farmer hada conflicts in the North Central. And especially Nasarawa, Benue, and Flato. This Fama-Hada conflict began, you know, when um, there is a serious also issue of indigenous by settlers. So that is how it keeps metaposing, you know, existing grievances against the minorities. I'm always used to tell people that there are a lot of untold stories against the Hades in those areas. But people do not know much about the, these incidences because, you know, differences in religion, differences in tribes and issue of farmer hada conflict that, you know, grave the region for a very long time. So that is why I still believe that majority of the things that are happening in the Plateau State, Benue, Nasara are more of farmer hada conflict 
than the actual banditry that is happening in Niger and other Northwestern states. I still remain in that um, access because if you look at the, you know, the criminality and some other things, even the kidnapping rate, when you look at Plateau, doesn't have much issue of kidnapping for ransom and so many other things. When you compare to, say, Zampara or Kasana, and even if you look at the attacks in Plateau State, are more of ethnic and religious oriented attacks compared with, you know, the attacks mm-hmm. in, say, Kasana or Zampara. The same thing with Benue, you know. Mm-hmm. Even, I think, the last two days conflict in Mongo, if you uh, follow up with the situation, it is because there was an attempt, you know, to cut, um, to rustle some cattle. That's what led to the conflict. And so many people, you know, died, uh, destruction of properties and so many other things. So um, if, if, you are, if you want to understand this, like I said, you need to understand, you know, the dynamics and, you know, the classification of the conflict in the Northwest, also in the Northeast and the North, North, North Central. So these are places that have different dynamic of conflicts. But people that come from outside the northern Nigeria will think like the crisis in Plateau, somebody will assume it is banditry, somebody will assume it is religious conflict, somebody can quickly assume it is ethnic conflict. But when it comes to the Northwest, people will clearly tell you that it is banditry without, you know, bringing any different perspective. I think the the place where there is serious, uh, I mean, misunderstanding of the, concept it is the not central like you said so i i think it mm-hmm. is more of you know farmer had a conflict than banditry but if you so have mm-hmm. any part- other contradictory yeah. can contribute okay if you can add to that but you know again i want you to also the question i was going to ask you is from what idris has said that there, there seems to be a lot of conflation you know the conflating these issues and in nigerian states default response is always a militarized response. But in, in, his, in his response, a lot of people have been calling for uh, proscribing the militants or the, the armed banditry. But we've also seen that uh, during uh, President Buhari's administration, it seems that he treated them with some kids' glove. And people were, people in the South, you know, was politicized. They said, oh, because, you know, these are Fulanis and that's why he's treating them with, with kids' glove. But we've seen an escalation in in the response of the Nigerian government in terms of, and then we've also seen in December when they had a drone strike that accidentally killed uh, innocent uh, citizens. How, how do you, what do you think is the motivation behind the government's militarized response, you know, to, to, to the, to the unbanditry? Yusuf, we can't hear you. I think you're mute. You have to unmute him. Can you hear me now? Yes, yes, we can. I was just saying that I am not in government and uh, I have not worked with the Nigerian government. So I don't, I don't know, know you see why, you might be... <laughs> the, why they respond. But my understanding is that the, the Nigerian government is always quick to, uh, if you look at antecedents, even when we, I mean, we are talking about groups that are armed. Nigerian government is responding with arms, but we've seen protests where Nigerian government has consistently uh, responded to even protesters with uh, a lethal approach and other things. So it seems like the default setting of the uh, Nigerian government to always deploy and uh, militarize uh, situations, which uh, has obviously not helped the country in the last uh, these 30 years that we know, uh, hmm. there is always a consistent escalation after uh, their, their responses and there is hardly uh, one conflict that has been really resolved through the use of uh, arms in Nigeria. It takes, It is really taking the Nigerian government quite a lot to sit down and uh, not even to sit down at the beginning of crisis, but to even anticipate some of these issues. Because if you go to these rural areas, it is not difficult to really uh, see the potentials. If you go to border areas, if you know what is happening, you have Libya and you have Niger. You know that there is huge market for arms, huge trade for arms. And when you go to these border mm-hmm. communities, you see the potential for arms uh, trafficking, 
when you go deep into the communities, you see the potential. When you speak to people, you see their grievances. When you speak to farmers, you see the grievances they hold against herders. When you speak to herders, you see the grievances they hold against uh, farmers. And when you speak to both groups, you see the grievances they hold against the Nigerian state. So it is a, a sad situation that Nigeria cannot sit and uh, anticipate its own problem and uh, diagnose or plan a response that really works and resolves uh, these issues but all the time they just uh, deploy military and uh, tend to kill down situations that mm -hmm. I, I agree with 100% with that Idris I, I know in the past we've talked about uh, uh, there was one time during Shekar when Shekar was alive where there, there was you know we're looking to draw a link between Boko Haram and um, uh, and and this banditry and that you know in in the kidnapping of of uh, some of those when the girls some students were kidnapped and Bukharam Shekau you know claimed claimed that uh, what what is the scope of that uh, was that uh, is that a fluke or what what is the scope of that relationship I you know you know terrorists always love propaganda they love propagandize you know stories. So that at least they will keep that, you know, fear in the mind of the civilians that um, we we are on top of every situation that is happening in the country. So I think that's what she I wanted to do is just like to steal a thunder, to steal a thunder from bandit and and claim that particular crime because um, he know how that made him well popular and how he became. Um, very popular in the world after he abducted Chubox and also Dapchi girls. So he know how government responded once, you know, there is an issue of, you know, minus abduction involved in that particular crime. But still there is, um, there is no, you know, clear evidence. I think the evidence is very little that there is relationship between bandit and terrorists. Um, these are two different groups. You know, you know, you know, the Boko Haram or Ansaru or ISWAB are 100% ideologically motivated groups. And if you look at them, I'm always hold this opinion. That is why there are less violence compared to the bandit. These bandits are resources motivated. They are after, you know, resources. They are fighting over resources. So that is why they can, if you look at even the impacts of the conflict, in the Northwest, the Boko Haram conflict is more pronounced than the banditry. That is why people don't understand the kind of, you know, impact the the the, the banditry made on the civilians in the Northwest region. You know, it it is it is it is more catastrophic when you compare with the Boko Haram conflict in the North Northeast. But to be honest, there is um, there is little evidence to show that Boko Haram and all Oh, and Saru, oh, I saw had direct link um, with Bandit. Mm. If you could remember, we discussed about the organization and the structure. These people are not centrally, they don't have central leadership that you can say the Boko Haram engage with their sole leader and they sign agreement, you know, allegiance and some other things. These people are scattered. You know, they are highly decentralized. They are fragmented. They are, you know, scattered in different forests. So even Boko Haram engage with one group for them to have, you know, a kind of synergy, but they may have, you know, mm. other group not agreeing with them. So that is why the evidence is very little. No, I, ca I can even beat my chest and said no any link between them, but I don't want to say mm. this one because, you know, mm. how <laughs> conflict metaphors and change, but the link is mm. very, very little. Mm. Yusuf, do you think is is there is there? I think I've, I don't know if I've seen somewhere where uh, these bandits, some some of these bandits are trying to uh, provide governance in terms of like impose tax or you know try to do some kind of administrative, governor alternative kind of like government, in, you know, and and provide you know some sort of social goods or whatever. Is is that is that true? Is 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 there evidence for that? Yes, I think that is currently the case in most parts of uh, Zamfara, Katsina, Sokoto, even Niger and Kelly State uh, and Kaduna, where this conflict is uh, has been deeply 
rooted the groups uh, uh increasingly uh, instead of even attacking and displacing the population and this is why interestingly you have uh, airstrikes on uh, communities because sometimes the nigerian military is also chasing the the armed groups which are not very far from the communities which are increasingly cohabiting with the uh, communities and increasingly instead of even displacing the communities they have learned the to really make use of the population to uh, control the population get what they want in terms of uh, in farming areas they use the communities uh, for food production and mining areas they use the community to mine and in, in, in herding areas they use the communities to herd or fish or whatever that is available to them uh, it is really a worrying situation where you have uh, communities completely under the subjugation and control of uh, uh, armed groups who only attain that control by the power of gun and violence and uh, it is what really only speaks in, in in those in those communities. Yes, there's enough evidence, and the government and everyone is aware. I think a uh, few years before the governor of Kaduna, in uh, the, uh, the former governor of Kaduna, I think uh, Nasir Alufa mentioned it's uh, loud and clear that uh, Ansaru and other uh, groups in Kaduna are taking control of uh, some parts of Birnungwari. Uh, which is part of his control and uh, requested for the government's uh, support. And I think some government laws, even in the Northwest, have made uh, similar statements to say that uh, armed groups are taking control of specific uh, specific areas and uh, enforcing their own form of administration. Hmm. Okay, Idris, does that not, does that not um, challenge your... This is a bit, you know, even if it's not, because if, if it's just pure criminality and then we're seeing uh, an attempt at, you know, forming some level of, you know, territorial control, resource control, you know, you know does that not, like, like Yusuf Riley said, that's quite worrying. That's a challenge to the legitimacy of the Nigerian state. And that itself might also show us the long-term you know, projection of this group is beyond just criminality or just making some and, and you know trying to live large. It could be towards forming an alternative government. So how do you how do you reconcile you know yeah, this I think... attempt of, at you know doing administrative stuff? Having some oh go on. Yeah go on Yusuf yeah go mentioned on. before 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 uh it continues it is very important is. to understand mm. that the bandits are really more opportunistic than ideological, like uh, uh, Idris has suggested. Even in terms of the control, it's not mm. everywhere they control, and the control is not even very consistent. You can find a community which they control today and tomorrow they attack, and uh, I think it is more opportunistic than really strategic and ideological that we think about it what is happening in the in the in the northeast it also depends on even the availability of uh, communities that are willing to uh, be coerced into this uh, control although in most cases it is not uh, their choice hmm. okay idris do you want to respond to that before we come to um, yeah yeah, so I I think um, like Yusuf has rightly pointed it out, you know it is not like a permanent you know control of a particular community. So wherever they found themselves, they used to force their own rules and regulation, not linking information to the security. You must pay levies and taxes, um, you know, forceful marriage because sometimes part of their agreement if you want to remain in peace you must allow bandit to marry your daughter so whether you like it or not you must do that or you must present a representative um, from your family members to be one of them because some of them they have this narrative you know ethnic ego saying that they are fighting for their own flanny race so this part of you know establishing parallel government 
But what I want you to understand that even prior to this well-known issue of banditry, many of these communities are, are living in governable spaces. They don't even know the sign of government. You know, like um, I mentioned, that there are porous borders in Kasena, Zampara, Sokoto. You know, some people that don't even know government exists because they are somewhere else, you know, at the border. They are suffering no school, no hospital, no any social amenities. They are even more closer to these criminal groups than the government. There was a village I, 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 I there was a, a, a community I visited just recently. Under that particular community, there are like, um, like there, there are like, um, I think 200 other communities attached to that bigger community. And in all these small, small villages attached there, they have only three police officers. And none of the three police officers has a gun. So how do you expect people just to follow government while these people are, are riding motorcycle, coming to their communities every day with the, with, with the you know, sophisticated weapons? I think people sometimes are in difficult position. They have no right you know, than to follow the armed groups because that's the only option they have. You can't just follow Nigerian government with three police officers without guns. These ones are with heavy guns. If you try to, you know, resist against their rules or any other thing, they can quickly, you know, launch their attacks on you. So that is, I think, the scenario on ground. So they have been in this forest and in this ungovernable stress for decades. So they understand the thing. So that is how they took control of um, in most of the communities where you know they have presence. Okay, I'm going to ask the 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 last question to you. So I'll ask the same question. Yusuf can go first. So in, in looking at all of the situation, this complexity. We started off from talking about the complexity of the issue. How you can uh, you know distinguish or easily separate uh, the, 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 the legitimate grievances from, you know, the more criminal ones and how, you know, it's all mixed up with ethnicity, religion, uh, also mixed up with uh, so many other local factors. And, and, and then again, we've talked the elephant during the absentee government and how that um, uh, puts people in a position where it's either, you know, they're forced to choose whoever is going to provide some form of uh, security. So in the light of all of this, uh, you know, if you take a very, very, you know, just deep dive into it, uh, what is the way out? Is there a way out? And what is the, what is the short? So I wanted to answer this question like this. What is the short-term solution? What, is, what will be a medium-term solution? What will be the long-term solution? Yusuf, if you want to go first. Well, this is a very uh, important yet uh, difficult uh, question to answer, looking at also the tension in terms of uh, emotional, uh, the current emotion in the country and how people feel about the, the crisis. It is really difficult to suggest uh, a way, but for me, uh, the solution to this crisis is uh, that the, first, the Nigerian government must be able to uh, be decisive in terms of finding a single policy that works across the the region that really covers all the aspect of the the crisis in terms of border security, in terms of education, uh, probably in the long uh, term, in terms of also uh, instituting courts, because left to me, people in the rural areas and in state governments in control of uh, land administration, people need, uh, people need to be tried, people need to go to prisons and people need to be sentenced, people need to be punished, people need to answer for their crimes. Before we even look at the criminals out of the, the communities, we really have to look at the institutional, local, traditional administrations and the past uh, governments to see all the atrocities that have been overlooked. Land administration is one key important thing that needs to be addressed in all parts of uh, Nigeria. And it is almost the backbone of most of, I think, I think almost 80% of the crisis in the northern part of Nigeria start from the issues of land and water. 
it's very important to look at this issue for the Nigerian government to look at the laws around land management and uh, based on the needs. I think we are still using laws that are very uh, disconnected from the needs that we have today. So it is really very important for the Nigerian state to look at all these aspects. And another thing is the Nigerian government also needs to be present in uh, in all parts, at least most parts of the the country. Uh, Nigeria is a country and it's on a map, a very well-designed uh, map. And unfortunately, uh, in some areas we have uh, clear presence of government, in some it is minimal, and in some there is zero presence of uh, government. The Nigerian government needs to be present but not uh, only in terms of infrastructure but in terms of its justice system uh, the welfare system educational system health system these are all things that needs to be done uh, in the in the long run but also in the meantime but very importantly also we need uh, to be sure that uh, armed groups and all, whether not armed or criminal, or all members of uh, this nation understand that there is a law in this country and people can be punished or can even be killed for disobedience. You have no right to knock at the door of a school, take uh, uh, 300 or 200 children and then be paid the next morning and return them and then return to your loots and... Nigeria really needs to be uh, strong in terms of uh, uh, ensuring that perpetrators need to understand that there is a government in place, there is justice, whether it is, I don't know whether it is through the police, through the military, through the DSS, through, but Nigeria really needs to stand on its own to be able to uh, to contain this crisis. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, Idris, do you want to uh, provide um, prefer solution to this to this big complex problem. In truth, I have never think in twenty twenty four we will sit down here discussing about this kind conflict. Why the world has moved? You know, people are innovating and inventing things globally, especially the Western world but because of dynamics of our leadership. As long as our leaders continue the way they are, you know, ruling our countries, I don't think there is a solution for this. You can imagine you wasted your time, you wasted your resources, you wasted your energy, you joined Q, you, you cast your vote, you selected a leader. At the end of the day, that leader will not provide. That's dividend of democracy. So as long as, you know, the looting, the corruption, the impunity, the injustice, you know, are going on in the land, there is no solution for this conflict. But in my own opinion, if, you know, our leaders can be truly democrats, you know, highly civilized and professionals, do the right thing, address these existing grievances, provide social amenities, provide jobs, you know, strengthen institutions, you know, and do the necessities. They know the good and the bad and the ugly. They know what they're supposed to do. Nigeria has, you know, good laws, good policies, you know. We have everything written in the papers, keeping in the office without implementation. So as for me, as long as you know, we keep, you know, turning our eyes blind, you know, busy looting money, you know, impunity and extravagant spending on unnecessary, you know, projects, you know, you know, less priority things. So we will keep facing a lot of conflict here and there. But if we can understand, you know, the importance of fixing a nation, you know, this patriotism, of developing a nation, we will not have this issue of banditry discussing here. I think maybe we will have issue of someone inventing something in Nigeria, you know, we will be discussing it here. But unfortunately, we are here because of the absence of good leadership. So everything you should discuss is the absence of leadership. If there is good leaders, policies are witching, institutions are witching, nobody will carry arms and start killing people like 
like this. Yeah, I can agree there is gun running, there is some other guns fighting in US and UK, but not like as pronounced in our own state. Because we are not we didn't fix the right things. Institutions are not watching, laws are not obeyed. You know, people are are, are not uh, are not getting punished when they, you know, commit crimes. So I think that's my opinion. I can I can say this is the right solution or this no, is the right, but no, let them address this is the leadership first. Listen, I can't agree more with 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 your uh, opinions. Uh, uh, either this this is this resonates with uh, some of the uh, findings or some of the conclusions that have come to that the Nigerian state is is uh, central. The Nigerian state is is. Is is the challenge? The Nigerian state is is the big elephant in the room that needs to be addressed, and the Nigerian state, you, you know, it provides this incentive for for armed conflict. And until we fix that, you know, like you rightly said, you know, you might sound pessimistic, but that is just the reality. Until that is addressed, until the the the, the idea of the state is the presence of the state is felt, you know, it might be a long time before this. Well, you know, gentlemen, uh, Yusuf, uh, I'm so grateful. Uh, Idris, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for you know giving us this time this evening to to discuss this important um, topic, and um, and uh, you know, as uh, you know, I'm sure our listeners are going to enjoy this this episode, and and we'll keep in touch. Thank you, and good night, gentlemen. Thank you, thank you, Mike, very much for bringing for bringing Yusuf and me in this platform. Like three years thank back, we had the same meeting with him like this. Thank <laughs> you very much. <laughs> Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you. Good night. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks. Thank you for yet another episode and thank you for joining and listening in to the important topic and um, and banditry in Northwestern Nigeria. Uh, Our guest, uh, award-winning journalist, investigative journalist uh, Yusuf Anka and uh, Idris Mohamed uh, has provided very useful insights into this conversation. Stay tuned. Uh, subscribe and follow us on our panel on our uh, channels youtube channel spotify and stay tuned for the next episode good night and see you again